Hope y'all are doing well. We are in the book of Proverbs today. We're uh, all reading the Bible together in this big long thing called the journey. And so um, it's a Bible reading plan throughout the entire Bible for us. And so each month as you're reading um, four different kind of selections from the text, <clears throat> uh, we are picking one of those selections and studying it for the month. And then uh, so today we are starting in the book of Proverbs. Now, if you've been reading, you know that that means half of Proverbs or so has already been read. And so we're picking up at chapter 18 and going through 31. So we are going to be looking at Solomon's Minds. That's what we've named it, although not the entire book of Proverbs was written by Solomon, which we'll talk about in a second. So um, we're going to be kind of our, 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 our main text, if you will, kind of our, our, our springboard text is Proverbs 18:21. But if you're familiar with the Proverbs at all, you know that um, the verses are just kind of one little short sentence that stands on its own, and then the sentence after that doesn't necessarily go with it. So, for example, as I said, today we're looking at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, and you can see, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So today we're going to be talking about our, the tongue, the, the speech, how we talk. But the verse right after it doesn't necessarily connect to it. You see it, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor for the Lord. So it doesn't mean that death and life comes from your wife's tongue uh, and you don't need to, you know, you need to make sure you find a wife that doesn't, you know, have a, a, a death-bringing tongue. That's not, that's not what we're, the, the idea of the way the Proverbs work, which I'll explain here in just a second. Um, so we're going to look at Proverbs eighteen twenty one, And the reason why I say that is because all throughout the book of Proverbs, sprinkled in and, um, and through are these little one-liners on, this, on, on speech and the tongue. So what today we're going to be doing is looking at all those kind of things and putting it together in some categories. And we'll have, I have three kind of big ideas uh, uh, regarding speech. Um, and then each, each week as we're going through this, we're going to look at uh, some big idea topics as we're looking at Proverbs. Because that's, that's the way the Proverbs is kind of written. Um, Chapters one through nine, if we had done it in the very beginning, are more kind of sections that you can study through in one kind of idea. But the rest of the Proverbs, once you get to chapter 10, are just little sentences. With one exception, um, as we're looking through, when you get to the very end, Proverbs 31, every woman's favorite proverb um, is one long kind of idea. And so the fifth Sunday that we're doing this, I am going to preach on Proverbs 31 on a, being a Proverbs 31 woman, because I'm just well equipped on that. I'm, I'm ready for it. I know everything it is to know about being a Proverbs 31 woman. So, um, but the reason why I actually I want to do that is because I've never preached the Proverbs. I've certainly never pre- preached Proverbs 31. And maybe it's just me, but I feel like I write all my sermons kind of directed towards men. I don't mean to, but I want to just write a sermon just to women that day. So um, Proverbs 31, the fifth week, just to women. So you, every woman needs to be here. And guys, you'd be crazy not to be here, right? You'd be, you'd be crazy not to be here. We're going to figure out women that day. So it would be insane to not be here that day um, to finally have some understanding on, on, on what they're like. Uh, I'm, I'm probably overpromising. So um, anyway, I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in and I'll give us a little bit, since we're starting a new book, a little bit of understanding about Proverbs and then we'll jump in. Uh, as I said, Proverbs kind of 18.21 will be our, our springboard out to look at all the, the different texts on speech in the tongue. Let's pray, let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your uh, word. We, we thank you that every bit of it is <clears throat> um, for our good. Every bit of it equips us. Every bit of it trains us in righteousness. Every bit of it reproofs us. Every bit of it corrects us. Uh, not just the easy to read, maybe easy to understand, New Testament letters and gospels, but even the Old Testament, not just prophets, but, but wisdom literature, the Proverbs. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray for us all as we, as we look at the book of Proverbs um, this morning that you'll help us understand them. And, and more than all that, Lord, that you'll, you'll point us to Christ and that we'll see Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of all these things and our only hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, I'm a little bit hoarse. Football season's starting back, and so it's not, it's not in full scream mode without it affecting me. Now, the game that I scream, was screaming at was Thursday, because we won. The Gamecocks won, and so I've got like three days rest, and I'm still here. Uh, I haven't like, been yelling at the kids or anything. It's, I'm driving in the car, and Sean Carson's running a 50-yard run, and I'm, I'm like, go, Sean! Anyway, so um, with the games moved to Saturdays, who, know what's gonna ha- who knows what's going to happen? Um, but hopefully my voice will warm up, and I'll be fine. Uh, forgive the... But, 
did we all, not all just sit at our house and watch, watch football all day yesterday? I didn't, but did you not? Like, it was football finally here. Um, next weekend starts the NFL, uh, and I'm going to win the Remedy Church, um, the Remedy Church Fantasy Football League. Um, I'm stacked. Anyway, way off topic. Proverbs. Proverbs. Now, one of the things I'm going to try to do as we're looking through the book of Proverbs is also just give us uh, that don't do with the topic at hand, just some Proverbs that I think are great. Um, so today I'm going to lead off with not having to do with anything with, with our topic, but in Proverbs uh, chapter 27 verse 14, um, the writer uh, of Proverbs wants us to know that morning people, not so fun, not, not such good people. It says, whoever blesses his neighbor, and we would think it would be blessing in their mind, with a loud voice rising in the early morning will be counted as cursing. So uh, even God maybe doesn't, dis- he dislikes morning people, um, maybe not, but uh, for those that like to wake up at six and, you know, your children that like to wake up at six and, and yell at you and say, hey dad, what's for, f- what's for dinner or breakfast uh, or anything like that, <clears throat> can, I play, can I play the iPad um, at 6 a.m.? Uh, <laughs> I count that as cursing. Um, we, we all count that as cursing. No, be, go back to bed. Um, so anyway, uh, that's just a random one. Maybe that actually does have something to do with, with today. I shouldn't have said it, but um, we're talking about the power of words and speech. But we're, what, are, what we're going to do here is we're going to look at Proverbs. And before we get into the text and the big idea, I want to give you an explanation of the way the Proverbs is written. Because so, you might not necessarily be used to Proverbs. Maybe you haven't spent much time. Maybe Proverbs is really for you um, where all your papers go. Because you open it up to the middle and you stick your papers in there. And that's about all you know about Proverbs. Um, so let me give you a little bit of understanding about Proverbs. Uh, Ray Ortland says this. Um, well, I should say this first. Proverbs are little short sentences. Um, Jack was telling me he was reading a book this week. It's really good. So uh, a lot of times we read the book of Proverbs, think it's like God's tweets. You know, 140 characters, he tells us something about how to be a good husband. 140 characters or less, he tells us about how to be a good wife or how to talk to people or how to not be lazy or, or whatever. Um, but it's, it's more, much more than that. In an oral culture, in the Hebrew oral culture, to to bring something down, to whittle an idea down to just a short sentence was actually really huge because you wanted to make it transferable to their mind. And when they would hear it, they would absolutely put it into practice. Now, that's kind of the op- opposite of us of a tweet. We read a tweet and we forget about it. We laugh or think that's neat. And then in 30 seconds, we've completely forgot. And we're certainly not putting it into practice. So the idea of willing this down is for that you would hear it and then put that into practice for the rest of your life. So the way the Proverbs are written are general pieces of advice for everyone. And if, if everybody would follow the, these, these things, most of the time in your life, most of your life will generally go this particular way that the proverb is telling you. So I'm trying to say that as broad as possible because every single one of us can find the exception of, well, that didn't work for me. Uh, and, and that's true. There are exceptions. But the Pro- book of Proverbs are written for most of the world, most of the people that live in the world. If you live according to the things that it says, most of you are going to have your life go this way. Does that make sense? Um, there's always rare exceptions. And that's the way the, the Proverbs are written. So because of that, when we read it, we think, oh, well, this is just a book of advice. These are short little tidbits of helpful pieces of advice and live my life. But if I really want the good stuff, you know, the gospel stuff, you know, I need to flip back over here to the New Testament. Ray Ortland says, the book of Proverbs is a gospel book because it's part of the Bible. That means the book of Proverbs is good news for bad people. It's about grace for sinners. It's about hope for failures. It's about wisdom for idiots. So the book of Proverbs is not just a a book of helpful pieces of advice, tidbits. Instead, because it's part of the canon of Scripture, it's about Jesus and the gospel. We'll talk about how how later on. He says you don't want to underrate the Proverbs. Let's not underrate what we have here in the book of Proverbs. Biblical wisdom is more than what we just find in a fortune cookie. And let me just on the side note say, fortune cookies are getting a bit weird now, right? You will walk straight. It just says like weird stuff now. It it told my little girl here, Mercala, that she's going to make great financial investments one day. I'm like, she's five. She doesn't understand that. But anyway, I think they're kind of taking a turn now in fortune cookies for the worse. Anyway, so biblical wisdom is more than just a fortune cookie. It's more than just an optional add-on for people that want to upgrade their lives. You know, I'm FUD 1.0. The book of Proverbs will help make me FUD 2.0. That's not what he's saying. Instead, the book of Proverbs are not just optional add-ons or, 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 or hopefully just life advice. The wisdom or the Proverbs 
is from Christ is a matter of life and death. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that can turn you away from the snares of death. So the book of Proverbs is about not just physical, but literally spiritual life and death. Wisdom, as the book of Proverbs beckons us to pursue, wisdom is the grace of Christ that beautifies our daily lives. I'm still reading Ortland. Wisdom is the gospel of Christ reshaping us now for royalty as God places his anvil on us and we trust him enough to stay there until his, um, parenthetical for me, sanctifying work is done. So the book of Proverbs is, is absolutely huge. It shapes us into the Christ-likeness that he desires in us. So a little history on the book of Proverbs. Um, the book of Proverbs was actually written a long time ago for the people of Israel as leadership development strategies. It says the book of Proverbs started out as historically for the training of leaders in ancient Israel. It was a leadership development strategy for, for those in, 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 uh, in Israel that were Jewish. The book of Proverbs is not just written by Solomon. Perhaps you've always thought that Solomon wrote it all, the smartest guy ever. It's actually an anthology, which means a collection of writings. Um, The whole theme of the book of Proverbs is found in chapter 1, verse 7, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so, really, the book of Proverbs is like this. All the... All the meat of the book of Proverbs starts in chapter 10 to 31. Chapter 10 to chapter 31. Chapters 1 through 9 is really kind of this long introduction that brings you to the short little sentences. So chapters 1 through 9 are actually um, long kind of sections that are, are, are saying things. And then you get to chapter 10, which is the short pithy statements. So chapters 1 through 9 is an introduction of sorts. They're a series of poems that are trying to sell the rest of the book to you. Like they're saying, hey, make sure you get in on chapters 10 through 31. Chapters 1 through 9 are motivating you, trying to pull you in to say, read the rest of, of Proverbs 10 through 31 and receive all the teaching that chapters 10 through 31 are going to give you with an eager heart. Chapters 1 through 9 are trying to make it the case for you of why you should care about chapters 10 through 31. So whenever I used to read the Proverbs, I always loved chapters 1 through 9. Like I just like 1 through 9 because the sentence is actually stringed together and a thought and chapters 10 through 31 is just like, all right, there's one thing and there's another thing. And I always love chapters 1 through 9, but actually 1 through 9 are there as an introduction to beckon you to actually get to the meat of the book, which is 10 through 31. So 10 through 31 is where you get the actual Proverbs. Now chapter 10 through around the middle of 22, those are Solomon's Proverbs. These are all things that he wrote, smartest man ever in the world to live, no one ever be smarter, no one ever be richer, no one ever be better, if you will, in, in earthly terms than Solomon. He wrote, um, he's not the smartest guy in the world, although the Bible calls him that because he had like a bunch of wives, which isn't smart, but um, that, that's here, neither here nor there. So chapters 10 through 22 are his Proverbs, and then 22, that middle through 22 to the end of 24 are, are Proverbs from that are non-Solomonic, if you will, not from Solomon. And then back to 25 through the rest of 29, that's more of Solomon's Proverbs. And then you get to the very end, Proverbs 30 and Proverbs 31. These are not Solomon. Proverbs 30 are the words of Agur, and then chapter 31, which everybody loves. Um, This is written by a man, the smartest man ever, Lemuel, because he actually understands women. And the reason why he understands them is because his mother gave him an oracle and said, you need to write this down, Lemuel. It's going to be really important. And Lemuel wrote it down. So actually, the mother actually explained to him women one day. And Lemuel wrote it down, which we'll get to one day. So anyway, uh, we'll get to in about four weeks. Uh, Jeff Vanderstelt kind of uh, summarizes for us the Proverbs this way. This is what he says. Proverbs speaks to three different types of people. It speaks to the simple, and it says, hey, simple, simpleton, come get wisdom. It speaks to the wise, and it says, hey, wise person, Come get more wisdom. And it speaks to the fool who thinks they don't need any wisdom and tells them, don't be the fool. Instead, come be a person that seeks wisdom. So that's kind of the general outline. And we're going we're gonna to jump in at 18 and go through 31. And so the best way for us to then do that is kind of look at topics and then gather all the relevant texts around that topic 
and put them in some kind of coherent order and look at it. And that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks ex- with the exception of, of uh, Proverbs 31. Now, today we're going to be looking at uh, the Proverbs on speaking or the tongue, as it would say in the Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 18 21 says, death. Now remember, this isn't just helpful, pithy advice. Death and life are in the Proverbs. And it says in 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We don't just mean physical death and life. We literally mean spiritual death and life. Spiritual death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. So there are actually 90 proverbs that counsel us. 90 different proverbs that counsel us on how to speak in the book of Proverbs. Um, in fact, the book of Proverbs has more to say about the way we speak, the, our words, than any other topic. More than money, more than sex, more than family. The way we speak to each other is covered in the book of Proverbs more than anything else. Um, therefore, when we're told in, in 1 Corinthians 6 that we need to glorify God with our body, the book of Proverbs is saying you need to make sure that you glorify God, God with your body, specifically with your mouth, with the way that you talk. Now, I have some selected Proverbs uh, that I want to read to you. Uh, and as I read these in first service, it got lengthy. I don't know if everybody stayed with me uh, or not. So I'm going to attempt it again. Um, and just, just stay with me. You don't need to follow. But I'll give you some, some bits of morsels of, of helpful advice um, on, the, on the, the mouth. But remember, these things aren't just helpful advice. That's kind of the baseline of what they are. They actually lead us into Christ-likeness. And they literally give us death and life. Some helpful proverbs on, uh, on the way that we're supposed to speak and some things about our mouth and speech and what it does. The mouth of the righteous, this is Proverbs 10, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart for the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. So negative words, sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never hurt me. Wrong. The Bible says sticks and stones, words actually aren't just sticks and stones. They're like sword thrusts into the flesh of people. Words absolutely do hurt. And he says, um, well, I lost my place. Where was it? There it is. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise doesn't do that, but instead it brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word, so here's the positive use of words, good words make him glad. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. In other words, watch what you say. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pour pour out folly. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, and it preserves, but preserves in and breaks the spirit. An evildoer listens. Now, this is very interesting. All we've done so far is talk about either positive or negatively words. Here it's actually going to equate even listening to evil words makes you evil as well. So it's not just the speech part, but it's even taking part by listening makes you the exact same as the one who speaks. An evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives, a liar gives ear to mischievous tongue. So if you just listen to lies, the Bible says you become and you are now a liar. Um, lost my place again. <laughs> uh, whoever listened, there it is. A man of crooked heart does not discover good and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Let me, let me explain that one. The words of a whisperer. So the whisperer is the gossiper. And it says, it's, it's, this, this particular proverb is, is tapping into something about us all, sinful about us all, is we just eat up gossip. In our sinfulness, we want to be on the end, on the know, on the, the juicy stuff. And it says, 
the whisperer, the, whis- the words of the whisperer are like delicious morsels. In other words, we want those delicious morsels so bad. Whenever we get, we get around them and we want to we wanna gulp those things down so that they come down into us. And it says the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They taste good, but they go down into the inner parts of the body. And so whenever you're t- d- eating in and taking in those things, they go down. And what happens when it goes into the, the inner part of our body for the, for the Hebrew, that's the soul, we have corruption of gossip going in and then that's what starts to come out it it eats away it makes us sick inside and all of a sudden our soul is now corrupted so there's there's much caution in participating in gossip because the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels that go down to the inner parts of the body and thereby corrupt us there is gold and abundance of costly stones but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue brings forth angry looks. A lying tongue hates its victims, and flattering mouth works ruin. So we shouldn't just flatter for the sake of flattery. It works ruin in our hearts and in the others. Whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters him with his tongue. And here's a positive sense in using your mouth. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So there's lots of kind of, that's from 12 all the way to 31, lots of different kinds of ways to understand words from good and positive. The, the consequences of, are good and positive. So we're going to take all that and we're going to try to organize it into some thoughts. Um, but before we do that, we, since we're talking about words, we need to realize that the actual ability to speak it marks us as human. It marks us as being in the image of God. Nobody else speaks in creation besides humans. Um, cats, dogs, monkeys, whatever. You, you may think these things are awesome, and, and, and in a sense they are, but they don't speak, and they're not creating the image of God. Those that speak are creating the image of God because God speaks. So we, because we speak, are now displaying the image bearer status that we have of God because we can speak. I mean, just think about the fact that you are able to communicate with words. This is vastly different than all of creation. And this is an amazing gift. The Lord decided in his infinite wisdom to gift us with communication, namely speech, in order, imagine if you couldn't talk and you had to communicate. It would be, my sermons would be vastly longer than they are right now, right? But, but, the truth is, like, communication would be tremendously difficult if we couldn't talk. Therefore, we are God-like because we speak. And, and just think about the power of words. The Lord not only created with words, Genesis 1, but he continually sustains all of creation still by the power of his word, Hebrews 1. So he creates with his word, Genesis 1, and keeps creation going still as it says in Hebrews 1, by the power of his word. So word, in, words of in itself are remarkably powerful. So like God, we can then, since we have image bearer status like him, we can use our words to do God-like things. Not like God, you can't just create like, boom, cheeseburger. That'd be awesome if we could, and we would all just, you know, eat Papa John's pizza and Krispy Kreme donuts if we could, but we can't. But instead, like God, we can use our words because we're in an image bearer status. He uses words to create. He uses words to form. He uses words to build. We also can do that. Like God, we can use our words to create trust. We can use our words to form relationships. We can use our words to build community. But also, unlike God, we can take our words, God does not do this, we can take our words and we can use words to destroy trust rather than create trust. We can use words to break relationships rather than form relationships. We can use our words to divide community rather than build community. So our words, literally, our words do these things. Our words build community. Our words 
create relationships. You would have never met your special someone and had this relationship what you had if you had not actually been able to talk with them so that they understood who you are and how you think and you've been able to express what you think about things and how you think about them. The ability to speak in words created that for you to be able to do that. I'm not saying that you can't do that if you can't speak. I know that people can. But God has given generally all of creation the ability to create trust, create relationships, create community by having words. Therefore, because of that, our words matter. Since words um, and using our words is a God-like thing that we can do, our words matter. The use of our words, the way that we use them for other people matter. Most of the strife in our houses, in our dorms, in our workplaces come from foolish words. Maybe from foolish actions, but mostly, I think, from foolish words. And I think we often underestimate the power of our words. Our words, Gossip, I think, proves this. Uh, it's, some thought may think that gossip is kind of a small sin. Our country and our culture and our Western society has magazines and TV shows that, that are dedicated to this one sin of gossip. We have gossip magazine, gossip, we, sin magazine, sin TV, and it's about gossip. It's literally just about the latest being in the know. Um, and <clears throat> we, we may think that's a small thing, but it's actually a huge thing. Ray Ortland points out, um, he says that this ability to say things and ability to, to have free speech, whether it be uh, gossip or lying, whenever we become Christians, we don't have unlimited free speech anymore. He says when we become Christians, we enter a new culture now where we literally surrender our rights to unlimited free speech. We can't now just blurt out how we feel. Perhaps you've met people that just blurt out how they feel at the moment. It may be funny, but only for about a day, right? Um, after a while, whenever it's actually directed towards you and you're like, wow, that was kind of mean. Um, you, you can't do that. As Christians, even though in, in America we can say whatever we want, presumably, um, now we don't have this, as Christians, in this new culture, the right to unlimited free speech. As believers, we don't blurt out whatever we want and whatever we feel. Instead, we run our words through the, the filter of Christ's likeness, and hopefully what comes out would be things that Jesus would want us to say. Um, Proverbs 29 warns that person that thinks they have unlim unlimited free speech. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So if you're the, I just say what's on my mind. Proverbs thinks you're a fool. Proverbs in God thinks you're a fool. But a wise man who lives in a new Christian culture knows that you don't have unlimited free speech and you hold back things. You quietly hold back things that you know you shouldn't say. Now, Proverbs 10 Chapters 10 through 31 uses a bunch of different things. So what we're going to do is pull together some ideas about speech. And there's kind of three things. So the title of the sermon is Counsel on uh, the Power of, of Words and Speech. And we're going to look at some counsel, if you will. I just put Proverbs because we're kind of all over the place. Um, counsel on the power of words and speech. It's counsel on the power of words and speech. So the first thing is this. Um, our words carry moral consequences. Our words carry moral consequences. There's weight to what we say. Moral weight to what we say. Because it literally for us brings spiritual life or spiritual death. A, a, a word that you say has the ability to bring spiritual death to you. Or spiritual life. <clears throat> the weight can be either way. There is Proverbs twenty fifteen. there is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are precious jewels. So there's, there's positive moral consequences, but also there's negative moral consequences. Our, our words can have a moral status that carry a negative moral consequence in the eyes of God. For example, Proverbs 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Lying is repulsive to God. Lying is repulsive to God. He hates lies. And let me make sure I'm clear here. Um, what we call white lies, 
like little, I need to say this just to be nice because otherwise it would be rude to say. He hates those. And then the tip top, like the big daddies, where if I say this big, huge lie, it's just extraordinarily evil. The top all the way to the bottom. He hates all of it. The best thing to do is not say a white lie, but to keep your mouth closed. That brings us back up to where I just said, a a fool gives full vent to a spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So the Lord hates lies. Lying is repulsive to God. So much so when he's talking about Jesus, what's, when, he's, when Jesus is talking about Satan, what's the, mon, the, the name, not, I was going to say moniker, but you might not know that weird word. What's the name that he gives to Satan? In John eight forty four, it says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar. He is the father of lies. So when Jesus describes Satan, he doesn't say he's an evil guy and he's a terrible fellow, he's the devil. He literally says he's the father of lies. So when we lie, the little white one or the tip top, we are acting like the father of lies. We are acting like Satan. Therefore, it makes total sense to us why God hates lies because it means we're acting like his absolute enemy, Satan. And so an evildoer participates in lying. Not only is lying repulsive to God, but participating in lying. Listening to lying is also evil. As I read in Proverbs 17, 4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ears to to a mischievous tongue. So it brings with it a moral consequence. Lying is a sin and brings immediately for us spiritual death participating in it, listening to it, as Proverbs 17 says, makes us a liar as well and also brings in spiritual death. So we see here that words are absolutely important, listening to them as well. Therefore, listening to lying is lying itself and kills us spiritually. So we have to be careful what we listen to. We don't need to let our mind collect um, garbage of, of the words that people are saying by participating in lies. Not just by participating and listening to lies, but also um, participating or listening to gossip. So when those conversations are happening around you, then the Proverbs, and I would say Christ, would lead us to say, the most Christ-like thing I can do here, and not in some kind of arrogant Hey, hey, look at me. You know, I'm going to stand up here and show you who's the man. No, don't do that because I'm not like that. But instead, as Christ-like as we say, I'm not going to be involved in this. If you're going to gossip about someone, you stop them. You say, wait, 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 wait. You know what? Um, Bill, he's right over here. Why don't we go over here to Bill and you actually tell Bill what you were just telling me about Bill? I think that that was probably the best way to solve this. Rather than tell me and pull me into this and make me a participant, Here's Bill, like, and that's a little bit more arrogant, so you wouldn't say it like that, but you see what I'm saying? Like, we, we want to stop people. If they're, as soon as they pull us into the gossip, we want to stop them and say, you know what, um, in the most Christ-like way, I, I don't want to take part in this. Or if they're lying and it's just outright lying, we don't want to participate in that as well. We want, we want to stop them and say, um, I want to obey God at this moment of temp- true temptation And I want to bring honor to God with my body and not participate in this moral consequence of which brings spiritual death. I think if we do that, our churches will be stronger, our mission will be stronger, and we'll be much more um, strong at making disciples as we're told to in Matthew 28. So the danger then of not doing that, the danger of participating, as I said in Proverbs 18.8, The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. The danger of not saying no, but participating means that we gulp down the the juicy morsels of gossip and we let it it go down to our inner parts. And when this gossip is rooting itself down in our soul, the consequences then becomes a corrupt, sick soul. And so we we certainly don't want that in our lives. However, that's the negative side. There are positive moral consequences to our words as well. For example, Proverbs 31 says this in verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth. So that's the negative way to have moral consequences. This is the positive way to bring positive moral consequence with our words. Proverbs 31. Open your mouth for the mute. 
for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So this is what, let me, let me give an, uh, an example. The, the, I think the best example I can, I can give for you is what I mean by this. The positive example of moral consequences of using your mouth. Now, I've done my best for the entire time that we have been a church over the last six or seven years to be as apolitical as possible, non-political as possible. I, I don't want to uh, preach politics from the pulpit because that's not my job. My job is to preach Christ. That's, that's the job of a preacher, not to persuade you to join a political party. So um, what I'm going to do is use what would be a Republican issue and a Democratic issue and show you how this particular verse can be used by either one of them so that I can still try to, my best, remain as apolitical as possible to help you see that these two issues are not Republican or Democratic issues. Instead, they're both Jesus issues. They're Jesus issues by which we're told if we want to have positive moral consequences happen with our mouths, where we're going to open our mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, open our mouth and judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Both of these particular issues are Jesus issues, not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party don't own these things. So I'll, I'll, I'll use both examples. Um, the, the Republican issue, which I think is really a Jesus issue, is if we're going to open our mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute and have positive moral consequences, then we need to be the kind of people who speak for the mute, speak for the unborn, speak for those whose rights are now destitute, speak for those who are poor and needy, who have no one speaking for them. One of the ways that we can live this out as Christians is not just with our mouths proclaim the gospel, but see that issue as also a just cause and speak life into that as a Jesus follower. Bring positive moral consequences to the issue of the unborn that they need to be um, defended and given opportunities for life. We need to do this as persuasively as possible. I've heard some people say, what do you expect unbelievers to live like? Well, I think that unbelievers can understand that. There's lots of atheists that, and even Democrats, if you will, that are pro-life. So you don't have to be a Christian to think that pro-life is a smart issue. There's lots of atheists that defend pro-life. So what I'm wanting is to win them over to that, to see life as a positive. Of course I want them to come to Christ. But I want them also to to see that pro-life is a Jesus issue. Now, before you think I'm a Republican and not a Democrat, or you think I'm a Democrat and not a Republican, which I'm not going to tell you, we can go to the other side. And we can take another issue that's on the other side, which is this. Same verse, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of people that are destitute, defend the rights of the poor and needy. One of the things that the Democrats constantly want to do is bring help to those that are in the cities that are down and out, those that are poor and destitute, those that maybe, and sometimes we might not agree with, do have some types of systemic things happening in America that keep them oppressed, that keep them poor, that keep them uneducated. And that is a true issue that we, who are Christians, can bring good, positive moral consequences that we can speak for them. We don't need to say, well, they can just figure it out. Instead, as Christians, that's a Jesus issue as well. Those that are poor, those that are down and out, those that are destitute, those that are um, uneducated, we open our mouth for the mute. We go and we find the system. This is exactly what happened 150 years ago with slavery. It's exactly what happened 50 years ago with segregation. And even today, if there are, and I think there are, systemic oppression for the poor, for the destitute, it doesn't have to just be minorities, doesn't just have to be African Americans. It can be anybody in our, in, our, in our society that are poor and needy. Their hope isn't the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or even the government. Their hope is Jesus. That's their hope. And so that's why both of these things are Jesus issues. And so we use our words as positive moral consequences or positive morally to bring to them life. We want to speak for them because they can't speak for themselves. And rarely do they often have someone speaking for them, defending for them, doing what can be done to to bring down systemic oppression against them. And I would say both of those are Jesus issues 
Both of those things fall within the parameters of just issues that the church should address. The church should address. Of course we have to be about the mission. (laughs) Of course we have to be about the mission of seeing people come to know Christ. But the mission also involves these things. So we have to open our mouth and speak and defend both of those. So that's the first one. The first one is that we, our words carry moral consequences. The second one that we can see as we look at the entire Proverbs, and I didn't put them all up there, our words carry emotional consequences. Um, I think that if you've been married for one hour, you're aware of this, <laughs> right? If you've been married for any time whatsoever, you are aware that your words can have an emotional and can evoke an emotional response to that person. I mean, it's any person that you are in relationship with, you have the ability to evoke an emotional response probably really quickly with something you say. Our words carry emotional consequences. Literally, as it says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. So literally, the way we choose and what we choose to say can bring emotional death and life. It's a matter of de- if we're going to witness to people, um, it, the testimony that we want them to hear, it can certainly carry with it consequences. Um, if we're going to judge someone, if we're going to help them find sin in their life, the way that we say it to them um, has, to be, has to be tempered with the way that we say it. If we're going to teach people the way that we teach them, the, the way that we talk about doctrine or Christ, the way that we say it is absolutely important. Everybody that we speak to, everybody that we talk to, we, have to, we, we don't want to speak ill of them. We want to speak well, that we can literally bring death in, to our life to them. In, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus Christ himself says this. This is, this is remarkable. If you remember forever ago when we're studying through the book of Matthew, um, in chap- when we got to chapter 12, Jesus says this about our words. This is This is remarkable. Listen to what he says. I tell you, on the day of judgment, maybe when you've heard about the day of judgment, you haven't heard this, but this is pretty amazing. On the day of judgment, people, everyone, will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's in the Bible. (laughs) Matthew 12, 36. Every careless word you have ever spoken. And let me just say, I am... I am like massively guilty of gobs and gobs and gobs of stupid, careless words. You're not supposed to say stupid in Chambers' house. Sorry, kids. Not smart, not, not smart, careless words. And you read this verse. We will be held accountable for every careless word we speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus says that. And you're thinking, wait a second, the Apostle Paul says something drastically different. Like drastically different. We are justified by Christ, by faith, and not, not, not condemned by that. And yes, okay, listen. Matthew 12, 36 through 34, 36 through 37. If you get to 34, he talks about our heart. So a heart that's believing in Christ, the, the evidence or the spillover or the proof of having a heart that's transformed by Christ comes into our words. And so literally, your, your heart is overflowing um, your, your words are the overflow of your heart. And so if you have careless words overflowing from your mouth, that means your heart has never been transformed. So we will give an account for every careless word we speak. Now that might be a verse for your favorite blogger that you dislike, but I think that for us, <laughs> it's <clears throat> far more condemning on our own heart and our own life. If you speak careless words, which I'm guilty of it all the time, what does that say then about your own heart? What does that say about my heart if I do that? So Paul's not at odds here. So it's because of that, it's ridiculous to think that sticks and stones may break my bones. That's not a God proverb. That's just a secular proverb, but words will never hurt me. The Bible says completely something different. In Proverbs 12, 18, it says that rash words are like sword thrusts. They're not like sticks and stones. They're literally like swords. Rash words are like sword thrusts that stab us. So words do hurt us. They cut us deeply. Countless, countless, countless times I have spoken before I have thought. (laughs) I can remember, and I've tried to the best I can, shut them out in my head, but I can remember feeling 
when I was 20, whenever I was 30, even in my teens, I'd say to somebody, maybe I just met, you know what I really don't like? I really don't like that at all. Man, I can't stand that. And then for them in that moment to look at me and say, oh, you know what? I made that. <laughs> or I wrote that. Or I love that. And I just remember thinking, oh, is there a hole I can climb into right now where I don't have to be around you and you think I'm such a moron? Um, over and maybe you've done that. Like, can you imagine how many times you've probably said, I really can't stand that to someone? And somebody's like, that's actually something I did. <laughs> you know, like you're like, oh, I can't believe like I'm such a moron. Um, and so in that particular moment, as I said, our words carry emotional consequences when you or I make this major bonehead statement that we shouldn't have said, what happens in that particular time, the emotional consequence is, in that particular moment, if you have a soul, you feel really bad. Um, you feel emotionally terrible. You're like, ah, hide me away from you because I know that you are pretty ticked at me. That's the emotional response you feel. And conversely, they feel bad and maybe even anger, rightly, feel anger towards you and they don't like you. Um, so these are the emotional consequences that happen. Ray Ortland, as he's looking at this, says, the worst place, this is where it gets super convicting. So um, if you can't say amen, you gotta say ouch here. That's how Vody Beckham says it. The worst place this happens is in our home. The worst place this happens. Ray Ortland says, and this is so convicting, if I can live by this in my life, it would be awesome. We need to see that our rash words are like swords as it says in, in Proverbs uh, 18a, we need to see our rash words, razor blades, literally flying out of our mouths right into the body of the other person if we want to stop. We need to see that our words are literally like swords flying into the flesh of the other person. Those wounds and those scars remain long after the words have fade away. This is why, this, this is the most convicting sentence, this is why there should never be shouting in a Christian home. There should never be shouting in a Christian home. He adds, if you do not teach your children to behave respectfully, then you are teaching your ch child to behave disrespectfully and to become a killer with his or her rash words. What you permit in the home, you actually promote in the home. So that means they become rash word sword stabbers later on in life. That's 17a, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 18a. There's one whose rash words are like swords. But on the other side, words can also be a healing balm. In Proverbs 12, 18b, it says, the tongue of the wise instead doesn't have a sword. Instead, it brings healing. So there's a way to use your mouth as one who heals. Christians, we must strive to bring healing. Francis Schaeffer, as he talks about bringing healing, how to bring healing to other people, he says, what does this mean? How does this love look? How can it be made visible? First, it means the very simple thing. It means that when I have failed to love my Christian brother, I go to him and I say the hardest three words ever. I am sorry. And I would add the hardest three words after that. I was wrong. That's even harder, I think. I am sorry, not I'm sorry if you're hurt. Because <laughs> that's like, and if you weren't hurt, then I'm not sorry. But like, what I did was wrong. I'm sorry. I am sorry. He says it means that if we want to demonstrate the healing, uh, uh, if we want to practice Proverbs 12b, be, have a tongue of healing, then we go to them, we say, I'm sorry. It may sound too simplistic to just start with saying that we're sorry and ask forgiveness, but it's not. This is the way of renewed fellowship. Whether it be between a husband and a wife or a parent and a child or even within a Christian community or between groups, we have shown a lack of love towards the other person that we're called to by God to go say, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, if you're not willing to go say it. If we're not willing to say, I'm sorry, when we've wronged someone, especially when I have not loved them well, I've not even started to think about the meaning of Christian oneness in which the world can see. The world has a right then to question if I'm even a Christian. More than that, and this is where it's just like, oh, are you kidding me? He says, more than that, if I'm not willing to do this very simple thing, use my words for healing, the world has a right then to question whether Jesus was actually sent from God and question whether Christianity is even true. 
that's where I wrote beside it. Whoa, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. There is a massive power in our words and literally there is for us um, major consequences. So the truth is then that time does not heal wounds. Jesus heals wounds. But because we are Christians, we're called to go demonstrate Christ by, by speaking the words of healing to them. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Or positive things like giving words of encouragement, telling them why we love them, telling them why they're awesome, uh, why we appreciate Christ has brought them in our life. Not, not for the sense of just blowing their head up like, now you're awesome, like, but instead encouraging, bringing healing. So that means when someone has emotionally hurt us with their words, we go to Christ because time doesn't heal wounds, Christ heals wounds. We go to Christ when someone's emotionally hurt us and we ask Christ to heal our heart. Christ, I'm hurt by that, heal my heart. And whenever we've done it, we have emotionally hurt someone else with our words, we go to them and we confess it to them and we ask forgiveness and we go to Jesus and we confess it to Jesus and we ask forgiveness from Jesus because Jesus is the one that heals us. So the second thing I wanted you to see as we looked at words is that our words carry emotional consequences. Now the third one doesn't have anything to do with us, praise God. The first two are enough conviction for me. Let's talk about God now. The third one is this, God's words give life. God's words give life. First Peter says it this way. Literally talking about the life giving, the being born again. You have been born again. That means you've been given spiritual life. You have become a Christian. You have crossed over from death to life. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. How did that happen? Through the living and abiding word of God. So the word, the gospel word, the good news of Jesus literally gave you life. God's words give life. All flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. So our flesh fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It gives eternal life. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the gospel that was preached to you. So the gospel gives life. Therefore, for us to have life, we must continually preach the gospel to ourselves. God's words give life. We take the gospel word and we preach it to ourselves daily. And that gives us renewed life. Or for the first time, it gives us spiritual life. In Proverbs 4, he talks a little bit about this. If you remember, Proverbs 1 through 9 is kind of the, the longer sections before you get to the little sentences. So in Proverbs 4, there's a little section where he talks about... Um, this life that the word gives. It says in Proverbs 4.20, it says, my son, be attentive to my words. Why? Because God's words give life. Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they, the words of God, are life to those who find them and healing to all of their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away then crooked speech and devious talk from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight forward before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So as we look at that particular text, what we can see then is since God's words give life, they are to be memorized. His words are literally to be memorized. In 21 it says, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Since God's words are life, we need to memorize them by not letting them escape from our sight. We need to keep them within our heart. So memorize his word because his words give life. The second thing we see is in verse 22 is that they're to be sought after for they are life to those who find them and healings to all flesh. So we memorize them, but not only we memorize, we literally seek after his words because they give life. This isn't a haphazard, half-baked reading of the scriptures every other month. This is a vigilant seeking after the word of God every day because the word of God is where you get life. Ray Ortland says, don't cram your heart full of death 
fill your heart with the love of Jesus by believing in the gospel by moment, moment by moment, and seek him in his word to give you daily life. The next thing that we see about it is we need to be vigilant. Getting life for him, keep your heart with all vigilance. This is the work of the Lord by doing this, certainly, but we have to be as vigilant as we can. Ray Ortland says, we do not have to give ourselves to raw evil to end up there. This is pretty interesting. We think that we, we wind up in raw evil by going over to it. He says, you don't have to do that. If you f- find yourself in raw evil, it's not because you necessarily ran towards it. All you have to do is unguard your heart and stop being vigilant. The moment you're not vigilant to seek after Christ and you find yourself in Mr. Neutral, you find yourself in raw evil because the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? He says, life does not flow from the, from the outside in, it flows from the inside out. From out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We need our hearts then to be continuously filled with the ever fresh life of Christ by faith in the gospel. Now we're seeing why the Proverbs are talking about Christ because we can't do any of these things unless we have life in Christ. All the warnings, all the promises find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And so we by faith put our faith in Christ. He fills us with his spirit and now we can live out these things. We'll talk about that in a second. And so we, instead, in, in the other part of this particular text, the writer's trying to key in on various parts of our body. He says, our lips aren't to speak with crooked speech. Our eyes aren't to gaze at anything else but Jesus. Our feet aren't supposed to go trod towards evil to the right or the left, but instead trod the path of righteousness. Jesus Christ died for our bodies. The writer's trying to point out that your body is his. Christ claims our bodies. Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a holy living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And so we are to offer our entire body, our lips, our eyes, and our feet, and all of our body to Jesus as worship. Ray Ortland says, if we're distracted from real-time connection with the mercies of God so that our hearts grow cold and our mouths become reckless and our eyes wayward and our feet wandering, we are only one misstep away from a life-shattering catastrophe. Every one of us is five minutes away from total disaster. That's a a pretty astonishing statement. I think it's true. Every one of us are five minutes away from total disaster. But if we are constantly receiving by faith the outpouring of Christ's love, because God's words give life, it's in constant supply from the throne of grace, we cannot lose our way. So this means how do you see Christ in the Proverbs? All of the promises All of the warnings of the Proverbs all find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. The promises of death and life are ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. He's the one that actually kept the Proverbs perfectly. He has all wisdom and he kept them all perfectly. He actually walked the path of wisdom and thereby gained victory over all Satan and sin and death. And so all the promises and all the warnings that kill us, Christ kept them perfectly and all those things are ultimately fulfilled in Christ and then at faith given to us and now we can live out the Proverbs not as a way to try to earn salvation not as a way to say look at me I can keep the Proverbs I'm so awesome everybody think I'm great instead because we have put our faith in Christ and now he's filled us with the spirit we live this out as a means of worship to God so the Proverbs point us to Christ because there's nowhere other way else to go You're never going to keep these things. They're a way to show us our absolute need for Jesus. So let me conclude by asking these things. Will you then, as believers in Jesus, consecrate every word you say for Christ? Not speaking careless words that one day will be judged for. Instead, will you say, every word I speak, I want it to be for Christ? Will you... With everything inside of you, keep your heart vigilant for seeking after Christ and his words because his words are the only thing that give us life. Will you continually to seek to have a heart filled with Christ so that you can actually keep the Proverbs as a means of worship back to God? 
Our words have moral power. Our words have emotional power. And they carry with it great consequences. Therefore, the only way that we can actually have words that don't have negative consequences of morality, negative consequences in our emotional relationships with people, is that we continually seek after God's words and we're filled with His word so that we can speak life to other people and have the the positive emotional consequences, the positive moral consequences happening in our city, in our families, in our church. The only way that we can do this is with Christ. He will never leave your side. He will fill you with the Spirit and make it so that you can do this. So, amazingly enough, we have a chance to use our words right now to reflect back to Him glory. We have a chance to stand and sing, and you may not love your voice, but it's still words, and you are reflecting your image bearer status by using your words to give praise to God. So let's take this opportunity to use our words and respond to God and sing out to Him and give Him glory because He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always with us. Let's pray. Be with us now as we sing, Lord. Be with us now as we worship through song. I pray that these words will bring you glory. And as we leave, the words we speak outside of this building will bring you glory. The words we speak to people who don't know Christ, that they'll be saved in those words because they come to Christ, will bring you glory. The words that we speak to our spouse as we seek to lift them up and encourage them will bring you glory. That we'll seek to live out the Proverbs, not in our own strength, but only in the power of Christ because all the promises and all the warnings of the Proverbs have ultimately already been fulfilled by Christ for us. And now by the power of the Spirit, we can live them out. Be with us now as we worship with our words with our voices. And may we bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.